0: So, you want some ice cream, cup or cone, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, minty cream mocha, sprinkles, nuts, hot fudge sauce, oh forget it. Instead, you opt for the mall. Shopping always helps you clear your brain. But now, do you like that lime green halter top dress or that bright blue turtleneck? Or both. Of course, there are bigger issues you're wrestling with right now. The stock market, the economy, the safest place for your money, too many options all of them equally uncertain. You can always get more money, but time, not so much. You've got to guard it carefully. Does everything have to be so complicated? Nope. Some choices are so simple. All you need to do is say yes. Good morning. Is it just me or does it feel early today? I don't care what the clock says. It's 8.15 or 8. It's 8.32. 8.32. Um, I don't like anything with an eight in front of it. I'm not a morning person. I'm, Well, hey, I'm so glad you're here today, and we're going to have a great time. We're in a brand new series called Say Yes, and it's all about saying yes to the impulses that are really transformative, and, and I've already shared this with you, and I know you probably heard me say this at least a couple of times by now, but... <clears throat> We're, of course, in supposedly one of the worst economies in history, and it sure feels like it. And if you've just lost your job or been laid off, then I'm sure for you it feels very, very painfully like it's the worst economy you can remember. And in this economy, people are really skittish. We don't know what to do. Uh, I don't know if you're a market person or not, stock market person, but if you are, uh, chances are you're a little queasy right now, uh, knowing what to do, especially if you've lost a lot of money in the last year, at least a lot of, a lot of money on paper, um, you don't really know, should I plunge in now, or should I wait till the market goes down another couple thousand points, or, or what should I do about getting into the market investing? And so I, I, if you are here today and you're saying, Mark, I'm kind of tentative when it comes to knowing where to put my money and, and so on, I, I don't have any money much, but it, I, I certainly understand that, and I wouldn't blame you a bit for not saying yes when somebody comes along with a great tip for an investment. But in this time, I'm also concerned that we can start pulling back from important things, Things in life where our involvement can make an earth-shaking difference. And so I've I've got this series for us called Say Yes. And the first week it was Say Yes to Generosity. And I challenge you that when you had a generous impulse from God, to say yes to that impulse. And then last week we uh, talked about saying yes to serving. And, you know, when the impulse came to make a difference, to rise up and volunteer, whether it's inside our walls or outside our walls, to make a difference. Um, and, And it's all about saying yes. Because I don't know about you, but I've, de- I've developed some answers uh, in my life uh, that I use to say no but not sound like they say no, okay, you know? Um, maybe, if, I was, I was thinking about this week, Maralice and I went to the mall, and, and she was shopping, and I was just kind of milling around in the men's department, and, and a really nice sales guy came up to me, and he said, may I help you? And I said, I'm just looking. Now, <laughs> that was my way of saying, you're not going to make any kind of sale here. And, and I'm going to walk around here, but I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just looking. Now, others may not mean that when they say that, but that's what I mean when I say that, I'm just looking. And that's fine. It's not a problem. But here's where there's a problem. It's like if I'm in the marketplace of life and God comes along and he's, in, he's giving me an impulse to be generous or to serve, and God is saying, Mark, I'm going to give you this impulse, and I say, I'm just looking. I'm just window shopping. That's when I lose the opportunity to make a real difference in life. So today, I want to talk to us about a third installment of our series, Um, and many of you have said yes to generosity, and you've written me stories about it. You've said yes to volunteering. I know that last week, thankfully, you guys were awesome. Many new volunteers flooded in a new spring to make a difference. We never have enough. Uh, We have several hundred, but we can always use more volunteers, Um, and so thank you for those of you who did that, but today I want to talk about something that really gets, it gets under my hood, behind my grill. I don't know about you. But I want to talk to you about saying yes to compassion. When God gives us an, an, an impulse to care about someone else, we should say yes to compassion. Now, I want to draw, I want to draw a real tight definition of the word compassion. I'm, I'm an old debater from high school and college days, and, and one of the first things that debaters often do in the first affirmative speech is to define the terms so that all the debaters can basically work with a set of terminology and understand what everybody means. So I want to define terms right now. Uh, compassion is a little bit different from mercy. It's a little bit different from sympathy. Uh, the word for compassion in the Greek language, and again, I hate doing this, but is, it's just a strange sounding word. It's like splangnezomai. And what it, 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 the Greeks had this idea that emotion came from your midsection. And the, the word really is the word for spleen, The Greeks kind of had the idea that you know your your feelings of compassion just kind of came from that area. And and in fact, some of some of you who are older, you can remember an expression when somebody really poured loose or cut loose with their emotions, we would say they would vent their spleen. That's where this all came from. Compassion comes from the inside. It's not something that's based on calculation. Uh, Another word that the Greeks had is we get our word sympathy from it, and it means that. You, you see somebody who's hurting and, and you kind of feel something for that person because you, you have a sympathy for them. Mercy would be, I know that I have been given mercy and I see somebody who's done something wrong and should suffer for it, but I feel like I should extend mercy. Mercy tends to be a calculation. But in the Greek's way of thinking, and Jesus picked up on this, and the, and the New Testament writers picked up on this, that compassion is something that just like rises up within you. And, and, and you know what it's like sometimes when your emotions are moved, you can almost feel it in, in your midsection. And it just rises up. And The thing about compassion is, when you let compassion loose, you've got to do something. You can't just think, well, maybe I'll do something or not. There's something about compassion that just rises up within you, and you say, I don't have any choice. I've got to do something to address this need. Now, in the New Testament, there are 12 times that this word is used, and we have it translated compassion. Interestingly, all but one time, it is God who has compassion. Now, once it's in a human story, but the story represents God. It's the story of the prodigal son. You remember that when the the son who had left home with his father's resources and squandered it all, when he came back stinking and filthy, and he came back and asked his dad just to let him have a job, the Bible says the father was moved with compassion. It it was like it rose up out of him, and he said, you know, go get the best robe and fatty calf and let's have a party. The compassion that that made this father reach out to this boy, it, it rose up within him, and he had to do something about it so almost every time, and I'm so blessed to think about that today. Isn't that great to know that when God looks at you, it just moves up within him? You know, you say, well, Mark, I don't know if God wants to answer my prayer. God has compassion for you. I mean, it's like rising up within him, and he wants to do something about it. God is a compassionate God. There was one time in the Bible, however, when it's a story about a person, a guy, and he had compassion, and it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible, and you know it well. But just in case we might need a a remembrance or a reminder, rather, of what this story is about, let's read it together. It's in the book of Luke, chapter 10. These verses will be up on the IMAG if you don't have your Bibles. But in Luke, chapter 10, let's just read the story. Let me take my glasses back off now because I want to give you a little bit of setup before we get into it. Um, Jesus is teaching, and I mean, lives are being changed, people are being healed, marriages are being put back together, people are getting off the wrong track, uh, getting on the right road. Jesus is doing great work here, and one of these religious establishment types comes up to him. Guys, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but I got to tell you something. You know, New Spring is growing real fast right now. We have a lot of people pouring in our doors, and it's wonderful. But whenever we get into one of these situations, I always get a little bit nervous because there will always be some of these religious establishment types that will hear that something great is going on, and they'll come in, and they just won't get it. You know, what I think about when I stand before you because of the way you give me feedback and what what I see happening in your life, sometimes I'm like an emergency room doctor. And I realize that this whole environment, New Spring is set up to be a place where people can come in with all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. In fact, by the way, all of us do have all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. And we can come in and we can hear what God has to say and we can turn our lives around. That is what we are. I mean, I, I have we have several emergency room physicians here in, in New Spring and, and they are on the front lines of saving lives. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if this, if this ER doctor is in the process of trying to save somebody's life and people came in and started arguing over which brand of athlete's foot medicine was most effective? You know, he, they would be in the way. And so I always am concerned about these sort of hyper-religious, you know, types of people that really don't get it. Every once in a while, some of them will get in here, and I'm always concerned about that. And that's what Jesus was dealing with. Jesus was changing lives, and along comes this guy. The Bible calls him a lawyer really, even though he, he, they did do some things that were similar to what our lawyers did. Primarily, these guys were experts on the Bible or the Old Testament. They had written and copied the law so much that they were considered experts on it. This guy really wasn't interested in Jesus' teaching, He just basically wanted to come in and and sort of jam Jesus. He just wanted to come in and prove to Jesus that this guy didn't need anything that Jesus had to say, so he came in in order to mess with Jesus. And he came in and he asked Jesus a question. He said, what do I have to do? And we talked about this question a couple of weeks ago. He said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Dumb question. You don't inherit it, you don't do anything. But Jesus said, okay, uh, you're the the religious guy. What do you think? Well, now he's on the spot. And so this guy said, well... Um, he gave him a quotation from Leviticus and one from Deuteronomy. He said, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, cool, go do that, you're fine. Well, this isn't going well. Because he came to put Jesus on the spot. And now in front of everybody, Jesus just told him, hey, you know what? You, you're the one who set this up. You just If you want to be okay, you just love God perfectly, and you love your, everybody else in your life as yourself. Well, now at this point, he's wanting to negotiate with Jesus. And he says, well, let's just read this together. This is in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. The man wanted to justify his actions, and he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I need to love? Who, is, who rises to the level of being my neighbor? Who qualifies to be my neighbor? You see what I mean about this religious establishment junk? Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man... He felt, and here's the one time we see it in the story of a guy, a human being, somebody like me, like you. When he saw him, he felt, do you see that? Rose up from within. He felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with oil and wine, bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these men, Jesus asking, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yep, go and do the same. The yep was mine. That's Texan. Jesus didn't say that. Let's talk for a few minutes. There are really... Three parts to Jesus' story. The first story is about the robbers. It's interesting to me that when you break this story apart, Jesus said the robbers did three things. And as I prepared for this, there was a part of compassion that rose up in me because I thought about so many people I'd known inside a New Spring and outside of New Spring that life had done to these people what these robbers did. Jesus said the first thing they did was they stripped him. Now, that, I don't know what that says to you, but what that says to me is they took his dignity away from him. And that would be the case in our culture. If someone was stripped of their clothing and left out in the road, it would, it would take their dignity away. But I cannot begin to tell you what that would have meant in the Eastern world when this happened. It would, be, it would have been the, the height of disrespect, and, and, and it would have been the worst thing you could do to strip someone's dignity, to take their clothes away from them and leave them naked. And my heart, my spleen, whatever it was, really moved when I thought about all the people that I've seen that life has taken their dignity away. I could be talking, and I'm careful about this, I could be talking to somebody here today, and the fact of the matter is, you are a robber. There is someone whose dignity you've taken away. I spend a lot of my time talking with people who are in broken relationships. And I cannot believe how cold and how calloused in the the interest of self-gratification. I cannot believe how many people I run into who coldly strip the dignity of their wife or their husband. I do not understand that. I cannot get over how many parents, just because they want to find a new sex partner, will strip the dignity from their children and leave them to fend basically for themselves. I do not understand that. The second thing that the robbers did was they beat the guy. Well, that's pretty simple. They hurt him. My heart is moved today when I think about how many people are hurting and it could, I could be talking about you. You could say today, Mark, I'm having a hard time just sitting at 90 degrees in this bench today because my guts have been ripped out. I understand. The third thing the robbers did was they left him. Abandonment. As I prepped for this message, I sat down and I thought, Lord, that is what I see every day of the week. People who've lost their dignity, they've been hurt, they've been left. You won't have to look hard to find people like this. You won't have to look hard at all. They're where you work. They're in your family. They're strangers that you will pass probably every day of your life. Jesus' story is 2,000 years old, but it feels like it could have been written this morning. Stripped, beaten, left. Second part of the story. I'm sure Jesus crafted it for this guy that came to talk to him. Or it may have been something that everybody knew about. Who knows? The road from Jerusalem to Jericho that we're talking about is a dangerous road. It descends... 3,000, it drops 3,000 feet in 17 miles. It's a road of turns and switchbacks and, and blind curves. It's a dangerous place. Robbers loved this road because there were all kinds of places to hide. <clears throat> it was hard enough just to travel because of, of the steepness of the roads, and robbers would use that and utilize that for their benefit. The scene that we have before us now is we have a man lying in the road. We don't know if he's dead or alive. And along comes a priest. The job of a priest was to represent people to God. He was to reach out with one hand and take hold of a, not literally necessarily, but this is the the idea, he was to reach out and take hold of the hand of a person who needed help and forgiveness and restored relationship with God, and to reach out with the other hand and to hold on to God and to bring those two people together. That was his job. And by the way, that is why the Bible calls Jesus our faithful high priest, because that is exactly what he did on the cross. It is interesting that he died with his arms stretched out as if with one hand to touch us and with the other hand to touch God. The priest walks down the road, and there over there in the road is a heap, a human heap. I don't know what was on his mind. It Could have been this is a dangerous road. If it happened to him, it could happen to me, and maybe the robbers are still around. Maybe that was it. I don't know. It could have been that priests had to be careful, you know, because part of their ceremonial religious establishment was that they could not touch a corpse. So he was looking at that and thought, hey, you know what, the guy could be dead. It could mess me up to touch that guy. But it's interesting in Jesus' story that what Jesus said is when he saw the guy, he crossed over to the other side of the street as if to say, I don't want to look at this. The second guy that came along was what the Bible calls a Levite, or our translation says a temple assistant. It's both correct. These are guys that, they weren't sort of the, you know, the, the teachers. These are the guys that just managed the, the, the house of God, the temple. They just kind of kept inventory of everything. That if the oil was getting low, whatever, if the utensils needed to be cleaned, that's what they did. And this Levite came by, and he saw the, the heap, a human heap on the ground, and he uh, covered his face and walked to the other side. If the robber's idea was, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to strip you, beat you, leave you, take your stuff. The, the, the mantra of the two guys, the two religious elite guys, establishment guys, the mantra of those two guys is real simple. It was, uh, frankly, Scarlet, I don't care. I don't care. Is there, let me ask you a question. Is there any colder statement in the English language than, I don't care? I think that probably hurts. Sometimes, doesn't that hurt more than somebody insulting us? If you're in a marriage and the other person is talking about something that is really important to you and that person says, I don't care. I don't care about you. Parents, is there anything that hurts more when your kids talk to you than, than when they say, I don't care? This is a good time for me to say that one of the issues that I think that you and I have, because I do honestly believe that sometimes with me and with you, if we're not careful, we'll be like these two guys, out of sight, out of mind, and we'll walk to the other side of the road. And, and I'm not, I don't want to be too hard on this. I just want to say this. I honestly believe the world that you and I live in does everything it can to breed the compassion out of us. For one thing, we have media. They didn't have media back in the first century. We know what's going on all over the world. So every day when we turn on the media, we hear stories about people who are going through hard times all over the world. And we say, we, well, I can't do anything about that. But we just like hear these, we're bombarded with all these stories. And then when something happens in our lives right in front of our face, we sort of put it in that broader context of all the stuff that goes wrong in the world. And we say, what can I do? And then beyond that, we have entertainment all the time. We go to the movies. We watch television. There's all these emotional stories, you know, on television, and we emote. We pour out these emotions. We have that thing inside of us, this compassion that rises up, but it's phony. It's about people that aren't even real. It's kind of like we get all that squeezed out of us when we're entertained. And then beyond that, Americans, more than any other people in history, we've been trained to be selfish, to be consumers, to look out for number one. And even those of us who care about other people, it gets into our groundwater, and before we know it, we're thinking about what we want and what we'd like to buy, and people are hurting around us, and we walk to the other side of the road. The third part of the story, a Samaritan. Now, when I say a Samaritan, for you and me, it probably doesn't mean very much. And what it does mean tends to be positive. But can I tell you that the dirtiest word basically in Jesus' day was a Samaritan. If you wouldn't just call somebody, the worst thing you could think of, if you were living in the Jewish part of the world, about the worst thing you could call somebody is a Samaritan. In fact, when there was a point when Jesus' enemies really wanted to diss him, and they said, they, they said two things about him. They said he has a demon, and he's a Samaritan. That's the worst <laughs> things they could think of to say about him the Samaritan. The reason why the Jews hated the Samaritans was historic. It had gone back several hundred years before. There were, as I've told you before in other talks, there, there were two parts to the Jewish world. There was what was called the northern kingdom, or the top ten tribes, uh, or, the, or ten, ten of the tribes, and there was the southern kingdom with, with two and a half tribes. And when the northern kingdom was carried away into captivity, they intermarried with their captors, and it created a race of, of people that were not purely Jewish and then beyond that, they had adopted an, uh, a system of worship that was pagan. And the people in the southern kingdom, they had remained, even when they were ca- carried away into captivity, they had, they had kept their, their pure Jewishness. And it created a hostile tension between these two groups. And there was a lot of racism there. It was so bad, and this is interesting, because once I tell you this, a lot of what I just read you from Jesus' story is going to make a lot of sense. It was a common fact, probably the most central fact if you were, between, between Jews and Samaritans. If a Jewish person was walking down the road and a Samaritan person was walking toward him on the same side of the road, the Jewish person, in order to keep his feet from being defiled by walking on the same dirt as a Samaritan, the Jewish person would walk to the other side of the road. It was that bad. So Jesus isn't only taking a crack here at Religious establishment, he's also taken a crack at racism so you hear jesus story and it's in real time and i just really want the lord to keep all this on videotape because i kind of put myself back there in time and i'm just kind of listening to jesus tell the story so i'm hearing him i don't know the end of the story he's talking about this guy this guy got beat up by thieves and robbers and and i'm saying yeah that happens on the road from jerusalem jericho every day it's not unusual guys left for dead priest comes along walks the other side levite comes along walks the other side jesus says now comes samaritan and i'm thinking to myself yeah he'll finish him off But the Samaritan does several things. And if we want to learn about compassion today, because Jesus said this guy had compassion, then let's just look at what the Samaritan did, because what he did shows us what compassion looks like. And this is beautiful. I love this. The Bible says the first thing the Samaritan did, and remember Jesus has set this up because the priest and Levite walked to the other side. Here comes Samaritan, and the first thing he did was he walked to where the man was. Every day, you and I are going to find people in our lives who need compassion. And here's the deal. Emotionally, mentally, psychologically, we're either going to walk away from that person or we're going to walk to them. Here's the thing about walking to somebody who is hurting is it gives us a chance to investigate. It gives us a chance to learn. See, the reason why many times we pass by on the other side, we don't want to know. We don't want to get involved. I mean, how many times do we hear these horrible stories about people who are beaten to death, you know, on a city street, and everybody just walks away like, they don't want to know. They don't want to get involved. And the great thing about this Samaritan, compassion says, hey, I'm going to get involved. I didn't beat this guy. I don't know this guy. And guys, let me tell you, here is the quintessential truth of this story. This Samaritan had to know that if the revolt roles were reversed, that guy wouldn't help him. but he went to where he was. You know what I think this teaches us about compassion? There's something about compassion that says, what if that were me? What if that was my wife? What if that was my child? I mean, if you're you're know driving down the road and there's an automobile accident, and you're saying, wow, that's too bad, and you're just sort of rubbernecking to see what happened, that's one thing. You look and you see your teenager's car part of that accident, it'll change real fast. That's what compassion does. Compassion says, What if that were my kid? What if that was me? And the Bible says, first of all, he walked to where he was. The second thing was that he he took care of his wounds. He dressed his wounds. Our translation says he soothed his wounds. And this is, I wish I had, you know what, I wish I had time to just build the whole sermon around this very point right here. Because we could talk for 45 minutes about just this thing. He poured in two substances in the guy's wounds. Oil and wine. If you and I want to be compassionate, we need to stop here and really check this out. Because see, oil is like ointment. It would soothe the pain. Wine was an antiseptic. It might sting a little bit. See, being compassionate to people who are hurting, it isn't just a matter of saying, oh, there, I'm going to try to make you feel better. That's a big part of it. But it's also helping people with the truth. I mean, the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love, and I just find it interesting that the good Samaritan reached into his knapsack and pulled out two things. He pulled out oil and wine. Then the third thing he did was he bound up his wounds. That was like saying, you know what, I'm not just going to get involved here for this moment. I'm going to look down the road. If I don't bind this guy's wounds up, then everything I've done up to this point is going to be worthless. Boy, I wish I had time to talk about this because I'll probably leave the wrong impression. One of the concerns that I have about American compassion, I kind of call it boutique compassion, We kind of like want to come in and do one little deal here and then go away and walk away and feel better about ourselves. But a lot of times, what we do, we're not really taking the long look. Compassion stays. The next thing this guy did I find really interesting. I think even as a child when I was hearing this story, when I was in church, this one always stood out to me because this guy is on this road, this dangerous road. He needs to get to where he needs to get as fast as he can. He's probably on some kind of business trip. He's riding on his donkey. He needs his donkey. But what he does is he gets off the donkey and puts this wounded man up on his donkey. In effect, what he does, he sacrifices his own comfort for this guy. Great. And then the last thing that he did was he takes responsibility. He takes the man to an inn, takes care of the guy for a while, as long as he can stay. Then he reaches into his pocket, takes out some money, tells the innkeeper, look, take care of this guy's expenses. I got a business trip to take. When I get back, if you've had to spend any more money on him, I'll pay. I'm taking responsibility. Powerful. Guys, if you want to see compassion in action, you probably don't have to look any further than this story. Well, I have just a few minutes left. Let's ask the big question that's on our minds right now. Who do I help? Mark, I've got one life and it's a big world. Who is it that I help? Well, what's Jesus' story teaching us? I mean, yeah, I'll hand it to you. On this road from Jerusalem, Jericho, there may have been several people who needed help, but this guy was in the path of the Samaritan. And here's what I'm going to say to all of us here today. I honestly believe God is going to put people in your path. And let me read you a story. This is just another one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Just turn a few pages past where we are in Luke 16. Uh, The Bible says there was once a a rich man expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. He was an American. Verse 20, a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps from the rich man's table. Unfortunately, the rich guy didn't do anything about it. He wound up in hell, not because he didn't help the guy. Just That's what was in his heart. He was lost. I like that. Guy got dumped on his doorstep. I, I just believe, and maybe I'm call me naive if you want to, but I honestly believe that life is just going to dump some people on our doorstep. They're going to be right there in front of us. They're in our path. Listen, I know you can't solve all the problems in Darfur. I, I, I know you can't end world hunger. I understand that. But who's in your path? Who's been dumped at your door? Don't you think God has a a part in that? As I said, I have only a few minutes. I don't want you to think I'm hyper-spiritual here by what I'm going to say, but in the middle of this week, it was like God, and he didn't reach out and grab my shoulders, but it felt like he did. It was as if God said, Mark, I've got a place I want you to take this message. I I told Lance. I caught him in the middle of the week, and I said, I can't believe where I'm about to take this message. But it was just clear from God that this is where he wanted me to take this. For many of us, we'll hear this message, and we'll think about meeting the needs of a stranger, and that's a good thing. That's compassion. A homeless person. But I could not get away from a strong impression from the Holy Spirit that I need to tell you this weekend that for many of us, that person in our house, in our path may well be in our house. I'm talking to husbands here today. If you see a homeless man, you'll give him money for a meal. But that person who's been stripped, beaten, and left may be your wife and you know she's hurting but you're busy I don't know why God had me say that today I, I didn't think it fit the message but he just wouldn't let me go I'm talking to gals here today and you have a heart if you saw a lady broken down on the side of the road, her car's not running, you would stop what you're doing. You would help her get gasoline. You would take her where she needs to go. It's just in you. It's in your it's it's just in your heart. But you live in a home with a guy that's your husband, and life has kicked him around. It has stripped him of its dignity, stripped him of his dignity, it has beaten him and left him hurting, and he feels all alone, and you know he feels all alone, and you're thinking, well, just buck up, buddy, and deal with it. I got problems too. I'm talking to dads here today. And you've got kids, maybe teenagers. And they're driving you crazy and annoying you. And about the only words that they hear from you are, kids, shut up. you sit there with the remote I don't want you just to think that compassion is helping a homeless person some of us don't have to look very far There's a reason why homes are breaking up like they're breaking up. Guys, it just tears my guts out. I, I, I live in this world every day of the week. And I have to wonder how many times would some compassion have made all the difference in the world. And I don't know what you're praying, but I can tell you what I prayed as I wrote this message. I was praying, the word that kept coming back to me was awaken. I said, God, wake, wake up that part of me that needs to feel compassion wake me up i don't want that i don't want my spleen to go to sleep let's pray father thank you for the time we've had in this service and i pray that you will help us to say yes to compassion in jesus name Would you pray with me for one more moment? There is no compassion like the compassion God had for you. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Bible is to be believed, and I would stake my soul on it, the Bible says that every man, woman, boy, girl in the world is a sinner. The Bible says there is not one righteous person in the world. That's Romans 3 verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. If we got what we had coming, every one of us would slip into hell as soon as his life was over. But God had compassion. So much compassion that John 3, verse 16 says, He gave His one and only Son so that He, as we used to say in Texas, so that He could take our whooping. And He did take a whipping. He lay on a cross and was nailed there, and He was hung on the cross for six hours. Suffered death. Pain and suffering like you and I can't imagine, but the way God looked at it was when all was finished, Jesus had paid for every sin you and I had ever committed. But God will not force his grace on anyone. It's a gift, and a gift must be received. It will not cost you anything to receive Jesus. It won't cost you anything to have heaven. It won't cost you anything to have forgiveness. It won't cost you anything to have the leadership of God in your life. It's free. Jesus paid for it. That's God's compassion wouldn't a person be a fool to have that kind of offer and walk away? You may be here today and you say, Mark, I've never really understood that till just this moment. I don't fully understand it. Well, I don't either, but I just know it's true. And I'm offering you a chance this morning to invite Christ into your life. Not fully understanding, but just willing to invite him in. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but they're words that call out to God and tell him yes. And if you'd like to invite Jesus into your life, you can pray with me. Let's do it together. Jesus, I believe you died to pay for my sins. I admit that I'm guilty, but I receive your gift of forgiveness and salvation. Make me God's child. I receive your gift now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift for you, far smaller than the one you just received. But I have a gift. I have a little packet. It's got some DVDs and cool stuff. Help you know what it means to follow Jesus. Free won't cost you anything. When you came in, you got a worship folder. There's a part that's detachable. You can just write your name and address on that. Check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. You can drop it in the offering bags and the boxes by the back doors. I'll mail you this this week. We're not as crowded as we normally are because of the time change, so we have a few extra minutes. If, if you just prayed to receive Christ, if you want to get this today, you can. I'm pointing right to the middle doors, right beyond that. There are two zones called Guest Services and New Spring Store. And if you if you prayed to receive Christ and you want this today, just bring your card back. They won't ask any questions. You can just say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give you this, and you can take it home with you today. I'm so glad you're here. Next week, we close out Say Yes with the most important message of the series. I cannot wait to get started on that. If I didn't have another service, I'd do it right now. Um, It's it's really, really huge, so I can't wait to to do that. But thanks for being here today. God bless, and uh, hope you have a wonderful week.